All right. Um, let's go to our passage for today. It's from Mark 1, 14 to 15. Mark chapter 1, 14 to 15. And would you please stand uh, for the reading of God's word right now. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me pray. Father God, would you glorify yourself in this time. Lift high the name of Jesus. Send your spirit to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. Oh, I forgot to do the, this is the word of the Lord thing. <laughs> my fault. Uh, well, good afternoon. It's my, it's my joy to be here. Uh, thankful for Pastor Andrew for having me come. Um, he's the first of our group of friends from Westminster to become a senior pastor, and, uh, which I always think is really cool. And just let me say what a privilege it is for you, the congregation, to have a man who preaches the gospel and who loves God as your pastor. He's a... He's a true shepherd. He will lay down his life for the sheep. So I'm very impressed by his pastoral heart. I respect him greatly. Uh, so that's my shout-out for Pastor Andrew. And a thank you to the worship team also. I was really moved in this thing. I was really able to worship God, so thank you for that. And uh, yesterday I met for dinner with the mission committee, and we had a really great time. And um, you know what struck me was how much laughter there was. It seemed like a really tight group where people were like-minded and had fun together. So I'm just very, I've been so far just very inspired and blessed to be here with all my interactions here, and uh, so I'm glad to be here again. So today, I want to share about the gospel of the kingdom of God, and as we begin, I want to introduce a man named Hiro Onada. If you go to the picture, please. So this is a man, uh, he was a soldier in the Japanese army during World War II, and uh, deployed in the Philippines. And when World War II ends in 1945, he refuses to believe the news that Japan lost the war. And so he goes into hiding into the jungles of the Philippines by himself, and he carries on his own personal war. And the Japanese government finds out about this, and obviously they send envoys to tell him the war is over, come back. But he considers these all to be deceptive tactics by the enemy forces. And so he refuses, and he says, I will only return if my commanding officer comes and gives me a direct order. So eventually, the Japanese government tracks down the commanding officer, sends him to the Philippines, into the jungles, and tells this man to return. And the hero does return to Japan 29 years after World War II ends. So imagine 30 years living in the jungles by yourself, carrying on your own personal war, which had already been long finished. And uh, when you hear this, what's your response? You're like, how inspiring? You know, what a great example of hard work and dedication and not giving up for what you believe in. Is that what you're thinking? How many of you are thinking, I found a new role model for my kids? This is, this is the man right here. Right? You're probably not, that's not what you're thinking, right? You're thinking... What a waste of a life. 
Uh, we, we laugh about it, we say it lightly, but there's something deeply tragic, there's something deeply sad about his life. Um, all that striving, all that youth and energy spent on something that in the end we ask, so what? What was the purpose of all that he did? And today, if you don't want to waste our lives, I think it's helpful to ask the same question, because this man's story demonstrates the importance of discerning the times in which we're living. Right? What are the times in which we're living? And in today's text, Jesus gives us the answer. Mark 1, 14, 15, he says that the kingdom of God is at hand. So we're living in a time in which the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. And we're going to look at four things about what this means for us today. So first, we're going to look at what is the kingdom. Second, how do we respond to the kingdom of God? Third, what do we need to live in this kingdom? And then fourth, we're going to see that the kingdom is good news. Right? So first, what is the kingdom? How do we respond? What do we need to live in this kingdom? And then the fact that this is good news for us. So first, what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's all about God's kingship and God's rule. So if you go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, the Bible begins with God creating humanity and all things to live according to God's plan under the blessing of God's rule and God's kingship. But humanity, as you know, rejects God's rule and starts pursuing their own ways. And so what the Old Testament history shows is a continuous history of humanity's rebellion against God. And it shows how much suffering and evil enters as a result. And it shows how miserable human life becomes as a result of our rebellion against God. And so, you know, for example, if you ever wonder, why is the world uh, the way it is? All these wars, you look in the news, all this poverty, all this injustice. Why is there so much mess in the world? And if you ever wonder, in your own life sometimes. Why is there so much mess in my own life? Well, the reason that scripture gives us is that it's because we live in a world of sin. Now, in the Old Testament, God's people who are living in such a world begin wondering, when will God come and change things? When will he come to save us and make all wrongs right again? And if you go to the first... Okay, thank you. So... What the Old Testament people are waiting for is for a day that the prophets promise. They say there's a day that's coming that's called the day of the Lord. And on this day, the Messiah will come, and this present world that's so full of evil and suffering, it's going to come to an end, and then there will be a new age, what the Bible calls the age to come, which will last forever, in which all wrongs will be made right, and the world will be as God intends it to be. Um, This is, for example, why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the kingdom of God. God's rule being manifest on this world such that it brings perfect joy and peace and justice, the shalom of God's uh, intentions, that is God's kingdom. So this is what the Old Testament people are waiting for, the Messiah. Now Jesus comes... And he says, I am the Messiah. And he says that with him, the kingdom of God has come near. It's at hand. So, for example, in the Gospels, you see that wherever Jesus goes, people, the sick are healed, demons are driven out, right? Now, 
people say, you know, this demonstrates Jesus' compassion, and of course it does. And people say this demonstrates Jesus' power, and of course it does. But there's a deeper theological significance, which is that wherever Jesus goes, God's perfect rule is manifested through him such that the effects of the curse and the fall are reversed. That's why demons are driven out. That's why the sick are healed, because the kingdom is breaking into the world through Jesus, right? And here's the interesting thing, though. Um, Even though Jesus the Messiah is here, the present age does not end. That was the expectation, but that doesn't happen. The Messiah was supposed to usher in a new age of God's kingdom with all its perfections, but the world looks much the same in many ways. Our lives are still a mess. The world is still a mess. And so we wonder, what's going on? And here's where Jesus expands our understanding of what the kingdom involves. If you go to the next slide, please. Jesus teaches us that even though the kingdom has begun, it's not yet complete. So this present age continues on, and we're living in the overlap of the two ages. So we're living between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And in this time, we're living right in the middle. So we're stuck in the middle between two worlds. But Jesus says that one day he will return. And at that point, this present world with all its sin and suffering will definitely come to an end. And then God's world will go on forever. So that's our first point. God's kingdom is all about God's rule. And it's begun, but it's not yet complete. Now, the second, how do we respond? If we believe this, how are we going to live? That's the question, right? So we're going to reject the world's values, and we're going to live as citizens of God's kingdom. Um, and that's where Jesus says in verse 15 of Mark chapter 1, he says, repent, which is basically turn from your ways. It's, there's a change of life. Go from one way of life to a new way of life. Follow different set of values, different priorities. Um, it's interesting, if you look at the Bible, Jesus talks about the kingdom a lot in terms of investment. So if you look in Matthew chapter uh, 6, which could you pull up that verse, please? Uh, verses 19 to 21, for example, Jesus says this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's Jesus saying? Well, let me explain. Let's say I'm living in the country, and the country next door invades. And so there's a war, and I know, happen to know the future, and I know that the country that's invading is going to win this war. My country is going to lose the war. And if that's the case, am I going to buy property and land in this country? Am I going to invest my money into the banks of my country? Probably not, right? Because I heard last night there's some bankers out there. Because the money, the currency of my country only has value when there's a government to back it up. If my country loses the war, government's gone, then all that I have invested in this country is worthless, right? The dollar, for example, there's piles of gold sitting somewhere Fort Worth, I believe, that sort of backs up the value of U.S. currency. Um, and so what you need to do, if that's the case, if you know that your country is living the war, or losing the war, is 
you need to change your money into the currency of the invading country. So to give you a historical example, there's a famous European family called the Rothschilds. Uh, could you do the mansion picture? Yes, that's a picture of one of their mansions in Europe. They're scattered all throughout Europe. Now there is mostly museums uh, open to the public, but the richest family in modern history. At one point, they controlled over $350 billion of assets in this one family. And uh, there's, re there's a really interesting story about how one of the ways in which this family became so rich. So the year is 1815, the historic battle of Waterloo between the Duke of Wellington and the British and Napoleon and the French. So there's this battle to decide the future of Europe. And the story goes that Nathan Rothschild, one of the members of this family, he was in France at the time of this battle. And uh, of course, as we know, the Duke of Wellington and the British win. And Nathan Rothschild in France hears this. As soon as he hears this, he takes the fastest boat he can find straight to London. He goes straight to the London Stock Exchange. And he starts selling all of his stocks. He starts selling all of his government bonds. And people are watching this. And they're thinking something must be up. Because remember, this is a family that's known for making money. So they think, oh, Nathan Rothschild must know something. England must have lost the battle. And so everyone else starts selling everything they have. And so you can imagine prices are plummeting. And then, you know, pretty soon they get, there's just, you know, nothing more than pennies, right? And then at the last minute, Nathan Rothschild buys them all up, which pretty much now they're all worthless. And then very soon, news hits England that the English actually won the war. And so prices start soaring again. And this makes him a really rich man overnight. Now, historians say some of this is more legend than actual fact. So I'm not sure about the details, but the point is this. It's that you don't invest in a country that's losing a war because whatever you've invested will be worthless. And this is exactly what Jesus preaches continuously in the Gospels. He says that the kingdom of God is coming and invading into this world. And he says the result of this war is already decided. He says, the kingdom of this world will come to an end, and God's kingdom will last. And in God's kingdom, he says, there's a complete different currency. There's a different value system. The things that matter in this world, things that are considered valuable in this world, will not be of the same value there. So Jesus is letting us in on a secret, really. He's telling us the result of the war so that we can go out and we can go change our currency. So we can start investing in things that last in God's kingdom. And so, you know, we tend to think of following Jesus as a sacrifice, and of course it is in many ways. We all know that. But if you think about it another way, following Jesus is investment. My wife and I, for example, we're planning to go to East Asia, and sometimes people ask, why are you going? Pollution's terrible. It'll be bad for your kids' health, things like that. And um, yes, all of that's true, and yet... God seems to be doing really exciting and amazing things in East Asia, and we want to be a part of it. It's an investment. You all probably know the man, Jim Elliott, the missionary to South America. Um, he went as a very young man with his uh, wife and young child to South America to preach the gospel to a group of people who had never heard the gospel. And uh, he was killed there for his faith to, by the very people he was trying to reach. Uh, but he said this 
in one of his journals, which is very powerful. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. These are the words of someone who understands the reality of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom has come, this demands a response. We need to make a choice. How are we going to live? But let me clarify something here, because when I say invest in the kingdom, I'm not saying, you know, you all drop whatever you're doing and just become pastors and missionaries and, you know, stay home and pray all day, because that's what matters. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying whatever else we do in this world doesn't matter, only churchy things matter. What I am saying is that in every aspect of life, whether that's church or home or family or work, uh, etc., are we ordering our lives around the things that God values? So, for example, think about the famous Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. This world says, blessed are the rich, blessed are the confident and self-assured. The poor don't possess anything of value in this world. And if you could pull up that first, you know, uh, the next line also. And you know, some Matthew says the blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke says blessed are the poor. Really, though, it's the same thing in the sense that nobody in this world wants to be poor. No one wants to be poor in spirit. These are things that the world despises. But Jesus says these are the very people who are blessed in God's kingdom because they will inherit, they will possess the kingdom of God. Um, the next two lines, Jesus, the world says, blessed are the happy-go-lucky, blessed are those who don't have a care in the world. If you don't believe me, check your Instagram, check your Snapchat. We're all happy, happy, happy people. There's a song, right? Happy? Pharaoh? Uh, we're all very happy people, or at least we try to be. In this world, those who mourn don't get much comfort at all. But Jesus says in his kingdom... Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. The next two. This world says, blessed are the talented, the successful, the beautiful, the smart, those who outcompete to get what they want. In this world, the meek don't get to inherit much of anything, because they get pushed aside. But Jesus said, it's the meek who will inherit the earth. So we can go on, but you get the point, right? Jesus is flipping the script. Jesus is saying God's kingdom has a completely different value system. There's a different currency. And so part of what it means to be a Christian and to live as a citizen of God's kingdom means this. It's that you consider precious those things that the world despises, and you are suspicious of the things the world values. Let me say that again. Living in God's kingdom means you consider precious what the world despises, and you are suspicious of what the world values. It means that we care about the things God cares about. So, for example, do you show compassion to those who are suffering? Do you get angry about injustice in the world? Do you love people who don't seem very lovable? Or... Is our lives just about ourselves, our grades, our family, our future? And are we so worried about our own comfort and our security that we can't take risks to love people? 
Because even when you go to church and do a lot of spiritual things, if the motivation at the end of the day is all about just my own self, my own well-being, then it's possible that we might actually be investing in the wrong places. You know there's a lot of pressure, especially in the immigrant community, but everywhere too. This performance mindset in America, the so-called American dream, which we all want to attain. Um, there's, there's, uh, it's not terrible, right? There's nothing. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to want to be, have, have security. It's good to want to make it and have a comfortable life. But ultimately, here's the thing. The American dream is about self-reliance and self-sufficiency. And you become so self-sufficient in the end, you don't even need God to live life well because you can do everything for yourself. And Jesus says, at the end of the day, those are foundations that are not going to last. So the kingdom is here. We need to make a choice. Point number three, what do we need to live in this kingdom? Because, you know, when we talk about investment, it makes it sound like this is really easy. Following Jesus is really simple. It's like a no-brainer. You just invest. You know, who wouldn't want to do that? But... Again, we probably all know that's not the case. It is really hard. The Christian life is hard. It's very challenging. And the reason is because, you know, when you invest money, you can see how things are doing, and if it's doing well, you get happy. It's, it's very simple. But with the kingdom of God, you can't always see how things are going. You can't always see the results. So, for example, Luke 4, Jesus proclaims freedom to the captives. Today, we live in a world where human trafficking is $150 billion a year industry. Every year, $150 billion. There are today 20 to 30 million slaves in the world. Today, more than any other time in human history. So we look at these realities and we ask, where is the freedom of Jesus' kingdom? Or, for example, Jesus, in the same chapter, Luke 4, Jesus proclaims healing for the sick, but I'm sure in this room even, we all know people who are suffering either from physical illnesses, mental illnesses. One of our good friends, actually, from seminary just passed away this week from cancer. So the husband, he was from China. He, got his, he just graduated from his PhD last year. He just started a new pastorate uh, in a Chinese church in Chicago. And uh, his wife, who had cancer for about six years, just passed away this week. Uh, they left uh, three, three little girls. We all know stories of physical illness, mental illness also. I teach at a university up in Chicago. I teach college students. And uh, it's amazing. They say nowadays the fastest growing mental health issue among young people, among college students, is anxiety. Everyone's anxious about their identity, about their future, their careers. Everyone's anxious. So we live in this kind of a world, and we ask, where is the healing that Jesus promised? Because it seems hard to see. And so sometimes, like the prophet Habakkuk, we wonder and we ask, pull up that verse, please, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? This is the cry of a person, a Christian, living in a world 
where we're waiting for God to show up and for God to work. Because how can we say that the kingdom of God is here when there are 20 to 30 million slaves today? When we so, know so many people with illnesses today? When the world is so clearly not as it should be, as we want it to be, how do we know that the kingdom of God is here? And this is where faith comes in. Jesus says in verse 15 of Mark chapter 1, he says the kingdom is here, and he says repent, and then he says believe the gospel. Because the kingdom is something that you can only live by faith. You know, um, especially if you're in church circles a lot, you hear this kind of thing where people talk about faith as something where if you have a lot of faith, it's something that produces results. So, for example, you say something like, you know, if you pray with great faith and God will answer the content of your prayer, sometimes even uh, perform miracles because you have great faith, because you pray with great faith. Um, and, of course, God does sometimes do that. But, you know, if you believe just because you see something, in some ways that's not really faith, right? We call that perception or observation, probably more accurately what's happening there. But faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, is being sure of things unseen, being absolutely convinced and confident even though we do not see. That is faith. And Jesus says that's what we need to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. So God's kingdom is here. We respond by investing our values, our life into this kingdom. This is a life that requires faith. And then point number four, the kingdom is good news because, you know, with all that we've said, it's very easy to walk away thinking, okay, I'm just going to start trying really hard to invest my life in the kingdom now. And um, that's not what I hope you walk away with because the kingdom, investing in this kingdom, living in this kingdom, is not something that happens just by trying harder. It's interesting in verse 14 of Mark chapter 1 that Jesus proclaimed the gospel. Uh, other versions say, for example, the NIV, it says Jesus proclaimed the good news. Uh, which is the same thing. So it says Jesus didn't proclaim the good advice of God. Right? It says he proclaimed the good news of God. And here's where Christianity is really unique, because all the other religions of the world, they basically give you good advice, how to improve your life. But the Christian message is news, and news is not about something you do news is something that has happened in the world externally to yourself, right? And the good news of Christianity is this. It's that the kingdom of God has come, and the one who rules this kingdom is better than any other king that we've ever seen. He's the best king that we could ever imagine. Because whatever else you're living for in life, um, all the other kings that you might ever serve, they will demand that you give up your life for them. But Jesus is the only king who gives up his life for you. We see this in Romans 5, where it says this about our king. To pull up Romans 5. It says, For while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus made the ultimate investment in the kingdom. He gave up his own life. And because of that, he gets a name above every name where every knee shall bow and proclaim that he is the anointed one of God. 
And Jesus does this not because we deserve it, but because he is a loving king who came to save sinners. So God's kingdom is not for the strong and self-sufficient. It's for those who are ignored and forgotten by the world. It's for people who know that they need help because they can't figure this out on their own. So if you're here today and you feel like there's not much that's good or lovable in your life, then I've got some good news, which is that Jesus loves you and he welcomes you into his kingdom. He invites you to join in the fullness of life that is available to you in his kingdom. Not only that, he gives us the power to reject the values of this world and start investing. He gives us a desire and an ability to live a new life, to invest in God's kingdom. So here's a paradox of Christianity. And it's very sort of counterintuitive in some ways. It's that the key to living a meaningful life is not that you try really hard to live a meaningful life. The key to living a meaningful life is that Jesus is king of your life. And then everything else sort of follows suit after that. So let me end with an encouragement and a plea. A first encouragement. If you're trying to live as a citizen of this kingdom and you find the journey difficult because it is very often difficult, and you find yourself discouraged and wondering, you know, what, is this worth all the trouble? Then I hope you'll remember that your effort is not for nothing. Because one day, Jesus will return in glory, and on that day, you will receive the reward that's been preparing for you. He will give you a crown of righteousness. He'll wipe away every tear, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. So God is proud of you, so be encouraged and press on and be a witness out in the world, both here and internationally, globally, to the reality that God's kingdom is truly here. We manifest that most clearly in the church as a community of people who are redeemed by God. And then second, if you don't, if you're not sure where Jesus is in your life, or, you know, you say Jesus is your king, but you've been investing in all the wrong things. And um, if that's, you feel like that describes you, listen, don't be like Hiro Nada, right? You don't want to come to the end of your life and feel like, oh, I'm not sure, what, what, what was the purpose of all of that? Have Jesus as your king. He's worthy of our lives. So change your currency and invest in his kingdom. It's the best investment you'll ever make. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for showing us that your kingdom has come and that it is possible to enjoy the blessing of your rule, not only in the future, but even now in this world. So help us to be wise, to invest in your kingdom. Teach us to see the world as you see it, with your eyes and your heart. Teach us to consider precious what the world despises, to be suspicious of what the world values. And may this motivate us to move out into the world in mission, both here in Philadelphia and around the world, so that we could be a witness to the fact that you are who you say you are, that your kingdom has truly come, and that this is a kingdom worth living for. I pray in Jesus' name.
all possible in the future if you want to do In the love of God, the Father Almighty, and the same Son, one Trinity, same Son of God, and with the Virgin, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, who empowers us with the church, with the future of the kingdom, may the blessing of this Christ God through the cross be with you all Hear the dismissal from 2 Corinthians. You are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The one of fragrance from death to death, the other of fragrance.